Presses Play. Hey everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello, all you cool cats and kittens. I cannot believe it's been a year since that came out. Anyway, welcome to another episode of Girl Presses Play. As always, I hope you are all happy and healthy and watching as many movies as your heart desires. So on today's episode, fair warning, we are going to be getting pretty technical and a little unnecessary in that like very special way that only film nerds and full-on cinephiles can become a little bit unnecessary. We are taking a look at two classic comedies, 1978's La Caja Fall from director Eduard Molinaro and the 1996 American remake The Birdcage from director Mike Nichols. First of all, both of these films are considered great on their own, and they are, but I am again going to argue that the remake is better than the original. On the surface, both of these films are very similar in a lot of ways. Both follow the same plot. The remake doesn't change the lines or the comedic moments all that much. And they even both did really, really well in the box office. But the remake understands what it is, which is a film. And it is a film comedy. And the subtle but really, really effective choices that Mike Nichols made in blocking, pacing, and even visual elements, it really helped the film be much funnier and more alive and more memorable, at least to me. So get ready to get nerdy and a little zany when we look at the original La Caja Fall and The Birdcage. So let's take a look at the original Lacage first. The film is based on Jean Poiret's play, which follows a gay male couple whose son is bringing home his new fiance and her ultra, ultra conservative parents. Now, before we go any further, I would like to fully acknowledge and own up to the fact that I am a born and raised American, and there's only so much I can understand and assume about French culture, and especially French culture in the 70s when I wasn't even alive. But it would probably be safe to say that a film with two gay men as the lead characters would be a fairly ostentatious and bold move to most of the general public, even for a comedy. I do think, though, that while that was the draw, maybe, the curiosity of it, the reason people either kept coming back or telling everyone they knew to go see it was the well-done slapstick comedy and the pretty relatable situation of trying to get along with your in-laws. And with that, the film went on to be the second highest grossing film in France that year. I do think that the film has a lot of merit. 
the characters are specific and the chemistry between Ugo Tognazzini and Michel Serrault is great and it wastes absolutely no time getting to the point of things. Which explains why it's a very lean 90-minute runtime, and that is lean even for a comedy, which are usually on the shorter side. And honestly, it also had to resonate with a lot of people, since Roger Ebert gave it a 3.5 out of 4 stars, and it still holds the place of the 11th highest grossing foreign film in the US. But I do think, in my humble opinion, this movie walked so Mike Nichols, Robin Williams, and Nathan Lane could run. In 78's Lacage, the film is very much taken from the stage play that it was based on. And by that, I'm referring to the fact that the language of stage, how one scene moves to another scene and how people are framed and staged in relation to each other, it's very different from the film medium. And I think that, coupled with the fact that Lacage's director, Molinero, comes from a very documentary-heavy background, is why the film very much just shows things as they are. There's not a lot of high-key colors or set pieces that really pop off, pop off the screen. So there's not really a lot of world building. And the exchanges are shot very naturalistically, so there isn't a whole lot of pacing and editing to create a certain rhythm of things. And because of that lack of pacing, there's not a lot of, as comedian Hannah Gadsby would refer to, breaking the tension. Yes, the situations are very funny in themselves, but we don't see a lot of the struggle, the trying, and the failing that makes slapstick comedies like this great. My friend TV writer Joe Mwamba put it really well. He said, a funny situation is where three people try to walk through a door, but two of them are told that they need to be the last to win. The comedy comes from those two desperately trying to be last, while the other person is wondering what the hell they're doing trying to lose. I think Molinaro could have played with that aspect a little bit more and that element a little bit more and really strengthen the objectives of each character rather than just letting the comedy do its own thing and float around in the mise-en-scene and see what happens. To be fair, maybe he was trying to show that a gay couple isn't all that different from any other couple you would meet in real life, which really comes through with the cinema verite style of filmmaking he chose. But I do think the comedy and the story about what it means to be a family suffers from it. So how does The Birdcage differ from this film? And perhaps lands a few more of those laughs. We'll get into it when we come back from a quick commercial break. Hey everyone, Alana here, and it's been a lot of fun making this podcast. I get to talk about what I love, meet some really cool people doing it, and I have total creative freedom. Are you interested in making your own podcast? Go for it, and go for it with Anchor. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more platforms. There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And best of all, it's free. So what are you waiting for? 
Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. And welcome back. So now we're moving on to what I will fully admit is a movie I grew up watching again and again and again and again and again, which is 1996's The Birdcage, directed by Mike Nichols. So for those of you who may not be familiar with Nichols's work, he directed both Broadway shows such as Barefoot in the Park, The Odd Couple, Spamalot, and Death of a Salesman, and classic films like The Graduate, Working Girl, and Postcards from the Edge. His first film was also a film adaptation of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, a play by Edward Albee. So you can see just from taking a look at his body of work that he clearly understands both the language of theater and the language of film, and he knows how to translate each of those for the other medium. I think he also understood what made them similar. For example, in an interview with the New York Times that was done the same year The Birdcage was released, he was quoted saying, The reason you do this stuff, comedies, plays, movies, is to be seized by something, to disappear into the service of an idea. Watching The Birdcage, you can see that he really got the idea of the film, which is family in a way that maybe the 1978 version seemed to more passively have as the setting for everything. He also really knew how to use every ounce of the frame to show relationship and to build a world. A great example of this is the first sequence where Albert is refusing to go on stage and Armand has to try to get him on. Not only from the blocking but from the fact that Albert and Armand are in frame together for almost the entire scene, either physically together or through Armand being seen in the mirror that Albert's looking into, you understand much more of their relationship and how long they've been together and what they want from each other. They even updated Agador, who was Jacob in Lacage, not only to be much less problematic, but that is another discussion for another time, but also more of a character, more of a main player. In Lakaj, he's much more of just some occasional comedic relief or occasional comedic little bits, I guess you would say. But in The Birdcage, the way that Agador is reacting in scenes and also how he has so much of a bigger part in the comedy and the situations that are happening, especially in the dinner scene, it makes him feel much more a part of everyone's lives. And it really does reinforce the idea of the film that family isn't just who you're related to, but it's who you share your life with. And this isn't really a filmmaking note, but I would like to say how I really, really appreciate how much they updated the character of Catherine, the son's estranged mom. In the original, you are very much meant to dislike her and think she is a terrible person for what she did to her son. But in this version, where she's played with warmth and groundedness by Christine Baranski and written very well by screenwriter Elaine May, she's a kind and reasonable person who just had to do what was best for her and, to be quite frank, best for her son. She's also not trying to be a homewrecker in this version, which not only makes her and Armand's relationship feel more genuine and realistic, but honestly, it makes Albert's reaction when he breaks into the office just even more hilarious. I also think a huge part of the film was the world building. There's bright colors and amazing costumes and the dance numbers are just 
spectacular and it films pretty much every ounce of the screen, you know, and barely leaves any empty spaces, which also makes the apartment's transformation for when Gene Hackman and Diane Weist, who are the fiance's parents, come over. It makes that feel even more severe and more barren feeling. And it's also another place where they reinforce the theme of family or found family with the club's performers being much more a part of the situational comedy during the house redecorating and especially the finale number, which of course is performed to the song We Are Family, which bookends the beginning of the end in the film, in case Mike Nichols was worried that you weren't getting that this film was about family. I also would like to note that as a born and raised American who remembers the neon colors and Versace prints of the 90s, I may resonate with or understand the aesthetic that they chose for the film a little more than the muted pastels of the San Tropez look that they use in Lacage. But I digress. I think what I'm trying to say is that Nichols was really able to make slapstick more relatable by giving the audience the ability to really, as he said, disappear into the service of an idea, by strengthening the idea of family and therefore allowing the audience to really relate to the comedy of the situation even more than they would have before. He also chose to use the camera in a much more filmic way, leaving things out of frame to focus on reactions, beautiful panning shots to show relation to space, to highlight not only the comedy, but the relationships of the characters to each other and their environment, which just really makes everything feel much more fleshed out and alive. I want a palimony agreement, and I want one now. Well, I don't have a palimony agreement on me right now. Is tomorrow all right? Don't use that tone to me. What tone? That sarcastic, contemptuous tone that means you know everything because you're a man and I know nothing because I'm a woman. You're not a woman. Oh, you bastard. Now, I'm a straight cisgender person, so I don't want to talk about whether I thought the LGBTQ plus representation in the films was better in one or the other, because that's not my life experience, it's not my lived truth, so it's not really my judgment call to make. But I did find this really interesting article from Emily Maskell at BBC, written to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the film's release, where she writes... The context in which these films were released gave them very different resonances. Liberated in its attitudes towards both gender and sexuality in the 70s, La Caja Falls was unique at the time in portraying a man who could enjoy dressing as a woman and being in a loving, committed relationship. By contrast, when The Birdcage was released in the mid-1990s, the LGBTQ community was rebuilding itself following the peak of the AIDS crisis. Within this context, the Birdcage's light-hearted, playful portrayal of queerness, exempt from suffering, threat, or death, was radical too. As Dr. Matthew Jones says, The Birdcage showed that queer identities could exist independently of and without reference to the epidemic. In short, it and similar productions from that period finally made it possible to start rebuilding positive queer identities through laughter and joy. I thought this was something really interesting and poignant, and I thought this quote was good to bring up because when you think about it, we're in a pandemic right now that does have not every similarity, but it does have some similarities to the HIV AIDS epidemic of the late 80s to early 90s. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and sadness and a lot of uncertainty over what our lives will be like after all of this is over. That's why 
And I will say this again and again, I think films are really important to show us what good things can be possible after all of the sadness and heartache. And at the very least, they can give us some much-needed joy just to get through all that sadness and heartache. I've definitely experienced that myself. And for me, that's what I think is missing from Lacage is that exuberant, celebratory joy of what life can and should be, and most of all, what family can be. Thanks again so much for listening! What do you think about these two films? Do you like Lacage better? Or maybe do you prefer the stage musical that was put up a few years ago with Kelsey Grammer and Douglas Hodge? Let us know on social media. We love to hear from you all. And be sure to tune in next time when we talk about... There's no other way to frame it other than one of the worst remakes of all time. I can say this from having to watch it. But I didn't watch it alone. I watched it with Richard Stambolian and Alex Caligiani of Film Class Zeros. So we are in for a very interesting conversation and you are in for a very interesting listening experience. Thanks again for listening. As always, stay safe and keep watching movies. See you next time. for listening be sure to check back every tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it special thanks to john f fariolo fencing llc mariano dwyer and helen rafferty for news on upcoming episodes be sure to follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at girl presses play the show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl presses play.